North Rock Podcast. Well, good morning. I was thinking where there'd be about 10 of us this morning. If any of you woke up the way I did, which is I hit my snooze like three times, it was, I was having a hard time. <laughs> well, good morning. It's good to see your faces. And thank you, Ben, for that lively worship. That was very helpful, even more so than the caffeine that I was trying to chug over there on the side. Um, but it's good to see you. And um, I'm excited to uh, come bring a, a message to you today in, in our ser- ser- sermon series, Eyes to See, because if there's one exhortation to the church that's repeated over and over again in Revelation is that we would have the eyes to see and the ears to hear what God is saying to us. And, you know, I think he does that because it's easy to be looking at our phones, right, distracted and not paying attention, And we miss the cool things that he has for us, the freedom, the love, the revelation, the truth, the freedom that he has for us. So I'm going to pray. Papa, thank you so much for today, Lord. I thank you um, that you do love us with an everlasting love. And Papa, I pray that you would help us have eyes to see and ears to hear. Papa, would you remove the blinders, um, the cataracts? the earmuffs, the things that that prevent us from just hearing how amazing your love is for us, how far you've gone to pursue us, Lord, and the amazing life that you call us into out of that love. Lord, I step into the anointing that you have on my life to just bring revelation. Lord, and I just pray that um, this would be your time. These would be your words, and it would be your revelation that opens our hearts speaks a fresh word to us, and gives us hope, Lord. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Well, we are in the book of Luke today, Luke 10, 25 through 37. If you have it, that's fantastic. And if not, we've got it here, and that's all good. (laughs) Um, uh, I'm titling this one, if you look in your Bible, it's going to say the Good Samaritan. But I've kind of retitled it a little bit, The Hated Hero. And we're going to explore why that uh, title um, is appropriate. Um, And my prayer for us today is that even though we've heard this maybe a lot, maybe you've grown up in church culture and, like, you read this as a picture book when you were a kid. Like, you you know, my first Bible was a picture Bible. Um, We've become kind of inoculated, immune to the radical nature of this story. So my prayer is that it would fall fresh on us, new today, and we could hear it maybe even as with the same intensity and shock that the people who were sitting around Jesus first heard it, because it was shocking. It was, it was amazing to them. It wasn't a story of just some good person walking down a road. Okay, so we're going to explore that a little bit. All right, so... Our first, first verse, so we're going to start out in, in Luke 10, 25. Um, a lawyer stood up. Jesus is teaching to a crowd, okay? And a lawyer, God love him. Uh, anyway, I was engaged to a lawyer once. God love him. A lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test and said, Teacher, Rabbi, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So this lawyer, this person who goes by the law, 
wants to know what he has to do to inherit eternal life. Now, he knows that inheritance is a gift to legal heirs, right? To the people who are legitimate legal children, not illegitimate children, not children of your second and third and fourth wives, not, um, but, but legal, full-standing children. Did we lose the mic? Oh, okay, that's just me. All right. And um, so he's asking, what is the, how do I have this legal status of being a child of God so that I can inherit eternal life? So in the Old Testament, um, they knew that, that because they were the children of Israel, because of that lineage, that their inheritance, their reward was eternal life. So he's not necessarily talking about salvation like we think about salvation. He's talking about, I'm a child of God. My reward for that is to be, is life with God. And what do I have to do to earn that? What do I have to do to get that? And Jesus answers him, what is written in the law? Since you're a legal expert, what's written in the law and how do you read it? What do you think? He puts the burden of proof back on him, right? He's like, "Um, you, you tell me what's up. And what's interesting is that the young man kind of quotes back to him something that Jesus had said. So he kind of quotes Jesus' words back to him, which is a a combination of Deuteronomy 5 and Leviticus 19. Um, He says, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. So the lawyer, right, he's there in this, they're in this like 10, I mean, really there's some tension around this in the room because he's debating Jesus in this, Uh, kind of passive-aggressive way, you know, he says, what do I have to do? And Jesus said, well, what do you think you have to do? And then he he repeats Jesus' words back to him, to these creeds from the Bible, and Jesus says, yeah, okay, good job. So you've answered correctly, do this, and you will live. But the lawyer obviously already knew this, this saying of Jesus. He knew these verses out of the Old Testament, and it wasn't enough for him, right? That's why he's asking the question in the first place. So the lawyer is unsatisfied with this answer, right? He wants a list. He says, what is the checklist? What is the list of things that I need to do? Because this is like really broad, right? How do you define loving God with all your soul? What's that checklist look like? How do you define loving God with all of your strength? What does that look like, right? He, it's, too, it's too much for him. It's too big. He wants to know the checklist. And, he wants, and the reason why we want a checklist is for two reasons. Either we want to compare ourselves. Yes, I'm amazing. Yes, I'm amazing. Yes, I'm amazing. Or we want to know exactly how we're failing so we can either argue the point or justify ourselves on why we couldn't do that, right? We, become, we can debate when we've got a list. You can't debate love God with all your soul. There's, there's nowhere to go with that. So he wants a list. He wants to make sure he's doing the right thing according to the law to gain eternal life. So he says, the follow-up question. Oh, If I can encourage you in something, I'm going to encourage you in a few things today. But we ask God the follow-up question. Sometimes God answers us. 
with, this, with an answer. And we're like, oh, okay, God spoke. That's awesome. And when we're telling, you know, the story to someone else or we're thinking about it later, and, and I don't know if you've had anybody else say, well, what did that mean? And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> Can I encourage you to have faith enough to ask the follow-up question? Can you have enough faith that God's going to explain himself? Can you have enough faith that God is going to answer you twice? Ask the follow-up question. Because <laughs> there's greatness. There's a great thing on the other side of asking the follow-up question. It's something I've uh, learned to do in my prayer life. Um, so the lawyer says, wishing to justify himself, wishing for that checklist so he can either prove that he's justified or find out what he needs to do, he says, who's my neighbor? Right? We know this. We know this line. Who's my neighbor? And and I think about this. I think about our fight in in with the Lord and our fight in with the Holy Spirit of wanting to know the specifics, right? The specific things. What do I need to do? Who do I need to be a neighbor to? How do I do that? And and the thing that it reminds me about is that it's so easy to live in this performance-based Christianity. That's our default, right? That's, I mean, and we even put theology around it and, you know, polish it up. But it's still a rule-based, law-based Christianity. And Jesus is always challenging us to something else than that. Because if we, we look at the, the rules and we say, well, if I do this, God will get mad, and if I do this, he'll love me, then it's performance-based, it's about us, it's not about him. And, you know, we can play that game for a while, but it's really unsatisfying. Keeping the rules is not enough. And we can't, right? So if you're living, if you're, if you're tired, if you're apathetic, if you're just feeling really worn down in this Christian life, maybe ask yourself, where am I living a performance-based Christianity life? Where is my life with the Lord performance-based? And I'm trying to do the right thing or not do the wrong thing because that won't bring peace. There's no peace in that. Scripture actually tells us that that way leads to death. So... The young lawyer thinking that if he just understands the rules better, he will find some peace in who he is before the Lord. Ask for clarification. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a great story. Right? So let's look at this story. We've heard it a lot. This is where I want us to kind of hear about what the people who were sitting around Jesus heard, kind of hear it through their ears. So there's this debate at the time in the culture on who your neighbor is. Isn't it fitting Jesus would enter into this conversation? So here's some things that they said um, that were, were sayings and understandings in the Jewish culture at that time. So first of all, the sons of your own people and those who were Jew- of Jewish blood were your neighbors. Heretics, informers, renegades... Should, uh, were not your neighbor, and they should be pushed into the ditch and not pulled out. Heretics, informers, renegades. Gentiles, um, whom, for the Gentiles that we're not at war with, um, and those who are the keeper of the sheep, you know, our Gentiles that keep the sheep, our nice slaves, um, 
you know, they're okay and we're not to cause their death, but if they are in danger of death, then we have no obligation to them. And if any of them should fall in the sea, don't try to pull them out because uh, you need to not rise up against what God is doing. So if you see somebody hurting, this is a saying, if you see somebody hurting or wounded or something's about to happen to them, don't intervene unless it is your blood neighbor, unless it's the Jew. Otherwise, let them be because God's doing something and you don't want to get in the way. Okay? This is, this is the paradigm at the time. So there's this debate. Jesus throws the debate at Jesus. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells this parable. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. They stripped him and beat him, and they went away leaving him half dead. So this road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a very dangerous road. Lots of robbers. They even had to start building, like, towers on it to try to keep people safe. Um, and so this, this man goes down. He gets beaten. He's left half dead. Half dead is a technical term, actually. There are stages of death. Half dead is a technical term. And he mean, it means that he's on the point of death. So he's unconscious. He's lying in the ditch. And he's stripped. So what does that mean? It means that he is unconscious, so he can't cry out for help. And you can't identify him now, right? You don't know what his dialect is. You don't know what language he speaks. He can't call for help. He's stripped, so now you don't know what tribe he belongs to, okay? What nationality is he? He has no clothes. He has no identification, either in his clothing or his voice, to know who this person is. He is just a half-dead body, Lying in a ditch. And any man. And every man. There. So now we have some characters come in. So by chance a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him he passed on the other side. So what's going on here? So the priests of the, of the day were very rich. Not, not like today, right? Right, Chad? You... <laughs> Not <laughs> super rich. So it, it's understood that he's riding an animal. Okay? He's riding an animal. He has the means to help. Okay? He's riding an animal, but the rules are around what he does as a priest. Is he can't even go within a few feet of a dead body. He, he's like limited on how even close he can. So rather than risk it, doesn't actually know if the person's dead or not. He goes to the other side of the road. Okay? The other thing that the people would have, known, would have understood is that he's, he's leaving. He's, he's a priest, and he's going to Jerusalem, which means he's going to offer sacrifices. So he has to be ceremonially clean for this job. Or if he's not, he has to, like, sacrifice a bull and spend a week outside the city, and he's not going to be able to do his job if he goes to check on the man, and he's dead, and now he just violated all these rules. Okay, so the, his religious rules, the society at the time is like, oh, sure, yeah, that makes sense. Of course he would go to the other side and just pass by. It would cost him a lot to even check who this human being is. Okay? He would be humiliated because everybody would think he had sinned <laughs> because he was having to go through purification again. And 
being just, just all of the circumstances around what it would cost him, of course everyone would think it was reasonable that he did what he did. So next, we have a Levite. Now, a Levite doesn't have all the same rules as a priest, so he actually goes and checks, okay? So he says the Levite came to the place and saw the man, so he didn't cross the road. He, like, went and, like, checked out the car wreck on the side, and then he crossed the road and passed by. So the Levite, given this road is through this big valley, can see what the priest did, goes checks on the guys, like, oh, hey, what's that mess over there? And then decides to do the same thing the priest did. So the priest, out of all these rules and things of the way he's supposed to behave, made the choices he did. The Levite sees this and decides to follow his model. Does what he does. does what, because if he had helped and the priest didn't, he would have been second-guessing the priest. Right? So let's say your neighbors know you're a Christian and you behave a certain way and they see the way that you behave. Maybe there are uh, reasons why you do that, but they're looking at what you're doing, thinking that that is how Christians are supposed to behave. What are you modeling for other people? What are you using other people's model as an excuse to do? you a moment with that one. (laughs) See, we worry about what other people think. We worry about what they'll think when we talk to certain people, we do certain things, who we hang out with, who our friends are. I was even taught in high school through like this um, example, you know, you'd have a kid stand up on a chair and they would say, you know, you would try as being the person on the chair to pull other people up, and they would try to pull you down, and it was easier to pull people down than to pull people up, and they would use this as a reason in high school to tell you not to hang out with other people that were not Christians. They would use this as an example um, of why you need to disassociate from those sinners. And, you know, in Jesus' day with the parable so far and in my high school (laughs) youth group, of course that made perfect sense. Right? It seemed very reasonable. And it seemed really practical to just leave this half-beaten, almost dead man in a ditch. And everybody's like, all right, okay. But then Jesus throws a big twist. Jesus is about to teach a different lesson than what makes sense through the rules of religion and society. And he's about to draw a different standard. What does it mean to be a child of God? Jesus was changing the definition of what it means to be a child of God. From the rules to what's in your heart. So let's let's take a minute and look at what happens. Right? But a Samaritan who was on a journey came to him, and when he saw the man, he had this visceral gut reaction of compassion. So he felt compassion Like, the word there is, like, down to his bones. And he came to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and then putting him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. This is a shocking moment in this story. Okay, everything else seems reasonable. All the decisions are like, yeah, okay. 
And then the audience is expecting like, okay, you got a priest, a rabbi, and a, you know, you, you've got a pattern of a joke, right? So you've got a, a priest, a Levite, and a Jewish layman. That's who they're expecting. And instead, it's this Samaritan. Samaritan is a half-breed. A Samaritan is a half-Jewish person that they looked on in contempt. They considered them heretics. And they looked down upon them more than unbelievers. So if you're not even going to help a Gentile who might be falling in the sea, you, you are even less likely to help a Samaritan. In fact, there's some interesting sayings about this. So the Samaritan in this story, because the Jews didn't believe that they were partakers in eternal life. They thought they were cursed. So the hero of the story is now a hated Samaritan. And that had to be really upsetting to the audience. Okay, this person whom they think is lower than the Gentiles sees the wounded man by the side of the road, and he's the one who helps. And in fact, he takes great risk in helping. So first he stops, and he could get robbed. Like the same gang that's out there that robbed and beat the first guy is still probably out there. He also takes his oil and his wine, which, were sac- which he was taking to Jerusalem for a sacrifice. Right? He's going up to Jerusalem. This is what his sacrifice was, and he takes it and he uses it instead of worship to God. He uses it to bind it, to, to take care and offer first aid to this man in the ditch. But the language that Jesus uses is language from Isaiah about worship to God. And so what the audience would hear is that instead of worshiping God this way in, the, in Jerusalem, he is worshiping God right now by helping this man. So instead of bringing the tithe to Jerusalem, he's using it for, in worship, to take care of this person. And that is not lost on the audience. This is the same language that um, is used to describe how God takes care of us. And another risk the Samaritan is taking is that if he helps this man, he is at risk of being accused of the crime. So this is like, um, as, as our, uh, uh, I have this, this great analogy. Hang on. <laughs> I thought this was fantastic. This is, the Amer- this is the equivalent to, in the American culture, that a Plains Indian in 1875 walking into Dodge City with a scalped cowboy on his horse, checking into a room over the local saloon, staying the night to take care of him. That Indian, that Indian brave would have been fortunate to get out of the city alive, even if he did save the cowboy's life. So this man is risking everything. To, the Samaritan is risking everything to help this man, this person he doesn't know. And to make it w- more intense, the next day, so he spends the night, and then the next day, he takes out, he gives two denarii to the innkeeper and says, take care of him. Whatever you, more you spend, I will return to repay you. So now he's promising to come back. So the, so the man could get better. His family could decide that they're going to take out, the, they're going to accuse this guy of the crime, take it out on him, completely legitimate in their society to do that. And now he's returning and promising to return where he could get killed because of this. Very real possibility. So the hated Samaritan pays for the man's care in advance, promises to come back, 
He's, he's in great physical risk of his own life in doing this. And yet he still, he still does it. He still promises. He still pays the cost. And it's at this point that Jesus asks, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And Ian, the lawyer can't even say the Samaritan's name. He can't even say the Samaritan. No. Instead, he says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, go and do the same. So the crux of this is that Jesus is changing what it means to be a child of God from what you do to how you love. How do you love? Right? We just came out of our series about love. How do you love? Love your God. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. How do you love? Jesus also introduces us to the sin of disassociation. That's kind of a big word, right? But if we think about associating and then disassociate, who do we say we won't hang around? Who do we say we won't be like? And when Jesus says that it is now a sin, not a virtue, but now a sin to disassociate. And he demonstrates this truth with his life, right? Who did Jesus disassociate from? Nobody. Not a single, nobody. Not even the one who betrayed him. Who do you disassociate from? Who have you said that person's not my neighbor? I will not help them. Who would you have the hardest time being a neighbor to? And in society, we can make up a lot of justifications for this. But let's think about some of them. I, didn't, I, don't, I don't know where you are in your world or who, but I hope one of these pictures is shocking to you. Who do you disassociate from? Who was not your neighbor? (laughs) Right? This is where we're at, people. Right? Who would you not help out of a ditch? Who, if they were stripped and lying in a ditch, would you decide maybe I don't need to help because their life is less worth it? This is ISIS. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. For me, it was the church. That was the hardest one for me. Not the Catholic church, actually, but just church. (laughs) But the truth is is that Jesus says, that you do the least of these you do to me. Right? So being a child of God is not what you do. It's how you love. It's how you love. Can I have the ushers and the worship team come up for a minute? This, I wanted to show you my solidarity bracelet. I made this over Christmas. I was having a hard time after the election. I just how... Divided and hateful our world had become. 
And it really broke my heart. Because that's not what Jesus calls us to. And it's not who Jesus calls us to be. So I created this bracelet for myself for Christmas. You know, I don't need those Pandora fancy jewels. I, I got wooden beads and used a wood engraver. But I have a bead on here. These are like my rosary, so I pray for each of these. So I have a, a bead for the church. I have a bead for faith, hope, and love. I have a BLM, which could be Black Lives Matter. It could be Blue Lives Matter. All Lives Matter. I have my four-square bead. I have beads with cuts on them because like 80% of young people cut these days. It breaks my heart. I have a bead for the earth. I have a bead with a voting checkbox because one billion people on this planet don't have legal authority over their own life. I have my LGBT bead. I have my human trafficking bead. I have my Islamophobia bead because a reduction in religious liberties for one is a reduction in religious liberties for all. And these are the things that I care about and I pray about and I pray for. Who is your neighbor? Who are you disassociating from? And maybe it's somebody you need to forgive. I had to forgive the church. It's a long story. (laughs) But I had realized that I had separated my heart from and said, I don't want to be like that person. I don't want to be associated with that. And the Lord said, that's not okay. Because a child of mine loves well. So the ushers have pieces of paper. I'm going to give you an opportunity just to respond that they're going to hand out. And this is for you. This is not for me or for anyone else. This is for you. I want you, if the Lord has moved upon your heart, someone, a group, a person that you disassociated from, maybe it's your own family. Would you write that on there and just ask the Lord to help you Find a way through that. Find a way through that. How you love. It's how you love. So I have Ben and the worship team just play and we're going to sing with us and we're going to meditate into here. Who do you need to reassociate with? And it's going to take the grace of the Lord. (laughs) It does. Just want to give you an opportunity. Papa, your word tells us that we can't love without you. Lord, so the way to be your child, to love well, to love well, Lord God, we can't even do without you. So Papa, would you give us the ability to love well? Would you give us the mercy and the grace to forgive, Lord God, those that we hold things against? Lord God, would you give us the eyes to see the broken, the hurting those around us, that when we come across someone in pain, Lord, we would have a visceral gut reaction and be moved with compassion. Papa, would you make us brave enough to risk in order to love well? Lord, you risked everything. You gave everything to love well. Would you give us, by your grace, the ability to follow after you in that? Lord, we need your help.
We cannot be the people you have called us to be without you. And that's the point. That's the point. So we ask for your mercy. We ask for your grace. We ask for your heart. We ask for your eyes. Lord, help us. Help us to be your people. Called by your name who look like you. And thank you, Lord. Thank you that it's your promise. Your promise to us is that you will. Your promise to us is that you do. Your promise to us is that you have given everything and you will lead us in that. So we just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being all of it for us. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Chad. Oh, was that good this morning, church? That was good. That was good. Thank you, Jesse. As I said before, I brought you up on stage. Thank you for loving your local church. Thank you for investing in us. I don't know about you, but as she's having us consider some of these things, there's some stuff stirring up in my spirit. Anybody else? People, groups, places that we know that God's love, which is courageous, is drawing us into. And as she was speaking, I I just had this thought that, you know, sometimes a break, like a bone, happens instantaneously. It just pops, gone, broke. You know it's broke. But what I experience more often than not isn't just that a relationship will break, just severed, gone, out. Usually it's, it's a series of, of micro breaks. It's a series of wounds that we just get used to and we get figure out how to walk on it. Can I just tell you that if we're going to love like that, it not only takes the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in us, it takes us being willing to say, God, I'm hurting, I'm wounded, I need healing today. And how many of you guys are thankful we serve a God that's the healer, right? So I'm just going to pray and then... Uh, and then as we normally do, we're going to pray a prayer that if you don't know this type of love, if you've never, if you sit here today and you don't know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who loved you so much that he died on a cross to make sure that you knew what real love is, we're going to pray that prayer. But, but first, I just feel led that we need, to, we need to pray for healing this morning. Amen? Let's do that. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we come before you as your body, broken, wounded, sometimes struggling. And we just acknowledge it before you because we know that if we can confess our sin before you, you are faithful and just to heal it. You are faithful and just to deliver us from it. You are faithful and just to deliver us from it. But Lord, we also know that we can get our identity and your identity mixed up to where we think, well, we just got to have the stiff upper lip. But the reality is we're your children and you want to heal us. So Lord, I pray for everyone here today, where there's an emotional wound, where there's a family wound, where there is a wound uh, that's, that's drawing pain right now, Lord, that you would touch that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Lord, you would bring healing and wholeness to us. Lord, that, that not only would you pour out your spirit in us to help us to be courageous to go into these relationships, because we know you're speaking to us about the next step that we're supposed to take. But, Lord, would you give us 
the healing that we need in our souls to be able to go into those hard places. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, uh, if the Lord's doing something good in your heart, can we give him a clap of applause? Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your kindness, your mercy and your grace. And as we do, as is our custom, we're going to pray a prayer that reminds us every week of who Jesus is in our lives and what he's done for us. We're going to pray a prayer that we're going to throw up here in a minute. But after that, if you would like prayer for any need in your life, we always have a prayer team available. We'd love to pray with you um, and see the Lord break through for you, okay? So let's pray this, whether it's your first time or your 500th time, let's pray it like it's our first. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and you rose from the grave three days later. I receive forgiveness for every failure and sin in my life and give to you the right to direct my life from this day forward. I dedicate myself to learning the scripture, to living in fellowship with God's people and following you in water baptism. In Jesus' name we pray and we trust. Amen, 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 amen. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right, well, with that being said, God bless you guys. Thank you for being here at North Rock. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I'd like to meet you after the service. I've got a gift for you to help you get started in that journey. Otherwise, we have prayer teams available. um, And please be kind to the people that are starting to come into church for the next service that doesn't start for another hour, okay? God bless you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to this North Rock resource. To find out more information about North Rock Church, check us out at www.northrockchurch.com.